Welcome to Ask the Educator, a podcast brought to you by Healthmark Industries. Are you a sterile processing technician or manager? Maybe you work in infection prevention or biomedical engineering. Whether you're a frontline tech, endoscopy tech, OR nurse, or surgical services administrator, you undoubtedly have influence in medical device processing at your facility. In each episode, we speak with experts from the Healthmark Clinical Affairs team, industry leaders, or special guests from the trenches to answer your questions and bring you relevant industry information, equipping you for excellence in medical device processing. My name is Kevin Anderson, and I will be your host. Now let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Ask the Educator podcast. This is Kevin Anderson, your host. Uh, Joining me again is Adam Okada and Stephen Kovac. We're basically going to pick up where we left off with Tony Monaco, Nancy Chobin, and Don Gordon. We were having this conversation about certification uh, and how it's been, what, five states now that have required it. And Tony and Nancy kind of spearheaded the very first one in New Jersey. Don was instrumental in the one in New York. And basically, we kind of got that conversation started. Each state kind of had their challenges uh, and the different ways that they were doing that. We started talking about uh, career ladders and the hospitals themselves kind of starting to require certification as part of, you know, uh, bridging that gap. You know, only it's been 20 years, uh, only five states require certification. So what's been happening? Well, the hospitals have been stepping in and and a lot of them are now requiring certification. Uh, That's where we left off. If you guys missed uh, any of that first uh, discussion. I recommend you go back uh, and check out that podcast where we started. Uh, with that, though, I will pass it over to Steve, and we can pick up this conversation where we left off. Yeah, it's um, very interesting on this career ladder, and we talked about cooperation and talking to each other and where you're at. And Nancy and Don and uh, both Tony have some really unique stories, and and. I would hope Nancy could share how she reached out and worked with her first career ladder and formed a cooperation and a partnership with with her union that was there. Nancy, could you share some of that with us? Uh, yes. Uh, I wanted, when I first started at um, my hospital, um, we needed to rebuild, which is usually the case. And we needed a lot of education. This was before certification. But I wanted to train people and then retain them because uh, we were losing people to surgery centers were starting to open up all over the place. And people, you know, would go there because they didn't have to work weekends. They didn't have to rotate. Um, And so we wanted to keep people um, in the department, especially if we were going to train them. So uh, we developed a career ladder. I went to HR and they said, this is never going to fly with the union. And I said, well, let's meet with them. And they thought I was crazy. And I said, well, they have to understand what we do. I can't believe that if they understood how important the work was, they would understand why we need a career ladder. So they did arrange the meeting. There were five union uh, representatives, including the president. I think it was 1199. And um, I explained what we were doing and why we were doing it. And they were on board from the get-go. They were totally on board. They felt it would really be an improvement for their people, that they would be able to get promoted based upon, you know, what they did in the department and they met certain goals. And um, it was a lot easier than they thought it would happen. Now, conversely, um, when 
about 10 years later, when the surgery centers really exploded around us, we lost 18 people in our system in one year to the surgery centers. And I actually did a study. I published it twice, one and 10 years later, on the cost to train a central service worker. And on the basis of that data, I did a white paper for administration and I showed them, and I'm talking about at that time we had 12 hospitals. I showed that we were going, it, the cost to us to replace those people was a half a million dollars. I think it was 561000 And yet if we raised uh -huh. the salaries and in the career ladder to those people, we would actually save $100,000 a year. And I had to go before the board of trustees of our entire system. If you want to talk about being intimidating and go into this big room that you don't even know exists and you sit around this table with 20 people. And um, I didn't know the result until the next day. My boss called me. He said, I don't know what you said, but you got it. So we got the salary increases. You know, some people in the Southern part of our state, uh, their salary was almost doubled because they were paid that much less because they were in a, a very rural area. So uh, wow. it was a big win for us, but you got to do your homework. There's data out there, not only to train your people, but you want to keep them because, you know, for 50 cents an hour, people will leave because they need that extra money. Yeah. So career ladders are so important, not only to make sure that you're, you know, keeping your people there, but also to uh, make sure that you're not losing money in your system. You've just shown the important, before we get to either uh, Don and Tony about that, you have showed the importance of doing your research and having real data oh, yeah. instead of, oh, we need to get more money and I've got five certifications and whatever. It is taking the emotional part out of it and say, here is what's going to happen. If you do this, we can save you money and keep it more, have more quality people or or to go from there. Don, I know you had a similar circumstance in building a career ladder. Could you share some of that with us real quick in a minute or two? Sure. The first one came when they knew that there was, I was in a hospital which had a union. Um, that was a city hospital. We had 12 city hospitals in New York City. And um of course, the union right away uh, was concerned because the reading level of the people working in sterile processing was at the third or fourth grade level. And they feared that these people would lose their jobs with mandatory certification with uh, not being able to understand the test. So the union actually brought in instructors and we had classes for them in all the hospitals to prepare people in sterile processing to read and vocabulary and everything. And we uh, concentrated on, you know, questions that would arise in the test for the certification. So that was my experience in trying to develop. And we did develop a career ladder program. It was, um, you know, a tech level in the city hospitals. When I went to hospital for special surgery, I did not have the union problem, but I wanted to raise the salaries because I wanted to get the best people uh, working in my hospital. And so I made sure that not only was it required to be certified, but I also had um, the number of certifications you had, you would get a $500 increase for each certification. And you couldn't be in a leadership, either a, a lead tech or supervisor, unless you had the leadership uh, certification. So 
I did the career ladder program. It was very successful in hospital for so, uh, special surgery. Wow, that is in it. Tony, I'm going to use this and bring a question to you for a second. Then I'd like Adam and Kevin to think about it. So we got these people certification and they know book stuff. But what I hear a lot is critical thinking. Sure, they know it should be this temperature and that, but the skill of critical thinking of what's there. I know Kevin and Nancy are both nurses and they've learned through their nursing what I call a pie, assess, plan, implement, explain when it comes to the patient. But that's the same thing our technicians have to do is assess the problem, take that knowledge, explain it and do it. What do you, we've talked to you and I privately about the training and getting people to think how, what advice do you want to give to the people who are listening? How do we help people take that knowledge and critically think? Is it having different instructors or, or, or what is it, uh, Tony? What are your thoughts? Oh, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I think the most important thing is that we have good educational programs. Part of the um, certification program is to teach them how to critically think. Uh, and it, that boils down to the instructors. And they're, they're there to teach them that concept. So you need some control over the instructors. That's, that's my take on it. Okay. Kevin, Adam, what are your thoughts real quick on how do we, you, you guys go into departments and we see people who are certified, but they can't critically think to solve a problem. How do we, certification is the that part, but how do we go to that, that step? What are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I would, I would say that it helps to be intentional about developing that in people. Like, you know, we, I think a lot of us are guilty of this in multiple roles in our lives. Like we all wear multiple hats. We're all, some of us are parents. Some of us, you know, do other things. Some of us are leaders in the department. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what we'd like to do is say, do something and then everyone just does it right. That's what people want from their staff, generally speaking. But that is not ideal, right? You send people to school to learn. And in this case, it would be go get your book, study, become certified. That should be the very beginning of the learning process. Once you get out there onto the floor, then the stuff that you've learned in the book or in school or where ha wherever, wherever you got your education should start to kind of like collide with what people are teaching you and showing you to do in the department. And instead of being told like, well, this is the way we do it here and this is the way we are going to expect you to do it. There should be a, a, mo a method and built in ways for people to speak up, ask questions, be inquisitive, uh, learn from other people. There's people that come in and they service the machines. They're from either OEMs or they're from clinical engineering. Shoot, they're going to go and service your, your machines. Why not send a tech over there to sit there and watch and ask questions and be inquisitive and, you know, do that. Like, make sure that people have the opportunity and are encouraged to take what they have learned from the books and then explore it in the real world in curious ways, you know, and, and really that's. 
I think, how you develop critical thinking skills. Most of us want to shut that down. We say we want critical thinkers, but then when they start to do some critical thinking, we're like, mm, no, you're making this too hard for me. Let's just do as I say, okay, in this case. you know, And, and that's where we have to kind of look in the mirror a little bit and not be duplicitous and start you know, really fostering that, whether you are an educator, a leader, or even a frontline technician that, that's been around for 20, 30 years. I'm sorry, but if you've been around 20 or 30 years, you should be a leader almost by default. You know, whether you want to or not, you are a resource person or you should be. And if you're not, we got some questions to to ask of you, right? Um, but that, in my opinion, is one of the, the biggest ways to foster critical thinking, you have to be intentional about it and you have to welcome it and you have to welcome challenging opinions and opposing ideas, uh, you know, not necessarily to a disruptive extent, but, you know, a healthy, a healthy dialogue and and putting pieces to the, of the puzzle together because these instruments continue to get complex. Uh, the surgeries get more complex. It's all getting more challenging, not less challenging. So that's the only way forward, I I think. Nancy, you got, or did you want to say? I just would like to say one thing, Adam, you, you're correct, but it it starts with leadership. That's where it starts. They got to create that environment within the department. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And developing, uh, developing leadership is a whole nother, it's a whole nother skill set. something that you continuously learn. You don't necessarily start off uh, people think you're a born leader or not a born leader. And, and so you are, or you aren't, none of that is true. You have to develop it and you have to start somewhere. And so when you first start as a leader, you have to assume I'm no good at this, but my intention is to be world-class at this at some point down the line. And so I have to start somewhere and it's the same way with the text and you have to foster that. So yes, Tony, I, I agree with you. Leadership is Almost everything in an SPD, in, in any department within the hospital. I mean, we, we took the same sterile processing techs that were struggling and we were canceling cases and having nothing but trouble and took the exact same technicians and turned the entire department around and actually ended up winning an award and all of this for quality and all of the, it. It's it. It all comes down to leadership. Nancy, you're going to say something. Go ahead. The biggest obstacle to critical thinking is to understand the why. They know what they have to do, but nobody takes the time to explain why. I will see people get policies, they'll buy them online, and I know I'm going to tick off a lot of people, but that's your job. Get those policies and review them with the staff. Don't just put them in a book and expect them to know what to do. And when you go through and read them, explain why you have to put the test pack in that location. What happens when you don't do it? Nobody does this. And when you give that information to people, it's like a flower that's blooming. They go, oh, my gosh, now I understand. Nobody ever told them. You do a Bowie Dick test. They don't go any further than that. So this is what the critical point that's missing. And, and I find it so deplorable today, considering all of the patient safety initiatives that are out there. And yet this is like the forgotten area. There should be auditing every single year of the sterile processing department. So that by an outside person who can tell what's going on, 
It's better to find out that way because people themselves are not doing it. Maybe some are, but not from what I've seen. The things that we find in departments uh, that people don't know, we still have people don't even know what the Amy standards are. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And if they have them, it's sitting on a shelf and nobody, nobody does anything with them. So it, it's very frustrating because we've worked so hard over the years to get you know, sterile processing elevated. And to your point, Kevin, uh, when we did certification, we found the average reading level was fifth to eighth grade for sterile processing. Mm. And so that's another problem because a lot of the materials are written on a collegiate level. And so they don't, they don't even understand them. So you have to, as an educator, be able to get that information like the Amy standards and, and you know, drop it down so that they understand it. But uh, that takes work. And a lot of people, unfortunately, don't put that work in. As a matter of fact, most people just farm it out to other people. They don't do the education. I have been in departments where they hand them an article from a magazine uh, that has CEs and say, OK, read it when you're done. Um, you know, I'll give you the certificate. I mean, I just don't understand how somebody could learn something uh, without having that interaction. And that goes to what Tony said. The manager's responsibility is to provide education and knowledge and training for their staff, and I don't see it being done. I'd like to say that uh, the demise of so many of the local associations uh, has hurt the development of leaders in our field. It's like the, they're out for themselves in each individual hospital. Mm -hmm. I always found that there was uh, when there were where there were meetings uh, where people got together. And were taught at, uh, you know, the different meetings where we had vendors and we had talks on different, different topics that people came back with inspiration to their hospitals. We don't see that anymore. And I know from going into the hospital and work for mm -hmm. Healthmark and trying to do an in-service education, the directors would say, you have 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah, you know, that's your time limit. We can't uh, afford to have people um, out of not working on their trays. Oh. It comes down to, I believe, developing leaders and people in the hospitals that can still develop our profession through our local associations, but they're disappearing left and right. And that's, that's a serious thing. Adam, you got anything you want to add real quick? And uh, I know there's other questions, but I want to throw one out. Uh, real quick after this. You got anything to add to this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, what Nancy said is is exactly right. It's all about the why. It's it. And with the way we train people in sterile processing, and I've given a talk on this before, is the same way they do in fast food. They essentially, they show them, this is the way you do it. Then the person mimics the behavior and then we sign them off. Oh, they know how to do that behavior. But if they don't understand the reason they're doing it, when it comes to be crunch time and they have to make a quick decision on doing it right, they're going to skip the step because they don't understand why it's so important to do every single step in an IFU or to follow the standards exactly. So, I mean, to me, it, when we talk about training and things like that, it again, it goes to culture and leadership that they have to know the why first before they learn the skills. And then they, the skills will stick because, again, they know how important it is to do it. I think this this is a pet peeve I'm going to bring up since I have some really good people here. I know we all want certification, but I have a very big issue with what and how we're looked at by our Bureau of Labor Statistics. We are number 
13.9093.00. Our profession is called medical equipment preparers. That's what we're called by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And it says, we prepare, sterilize, install, or clean laboratory healthcare equipment, may perform routine laboratory tasks and operate to inspect equipment. And then they give all these examples of, we could be CS techs and so on. As we talk about certification, we don't even have a name that represents what we do. How do we go about changing that as we try to get people to be certified because our HR departments look under this name and not what we call, or am I off the tracks here? Do we need to change our name or just live with that? We're really medical equipment preparers. I think you're right. And I think we should go to the Department of Labor. Hell, I provided a lot of data to them. Uh, They've said stuff to me many times that they wanted information on ethylene oxide and some other stuff. I'm a firm believer, you know, that if you want something done, you got to be proactive and and do it. So uh, let's get a hold of the Department of Labor. I don't know if they're interested. They're so busy with other stuff right now, but it's worth a shot. Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, this is a science and we don't treat it like that, but it really is. And, you know, in Europe where they call it the sterilization sciences, that's what we really should be focusing on. I mean, I, another profession that I sort of equated to is like a laboratory technician, right? They need to know how to understand how to handle blood. They need to do testing on different things, just like we do. They make sure their equipment is working the way it should. And yet when you look at that department, right? It's a very different vibe. They're scientists almost, right? The laboratory technicians. We're like grunt workers. And it's the way that we're viewed inside the hospital system that I think is flawed, that they really don't understand all of the, like when I started as a manager, one of the things that I had to learn about was water quality. I I knew some about water quality, but once I was a manager and had to fix why I'm getting wet loads, what's going on inside my sterilizer, why we're getting washer failures and things like that, I got a crash course in deep diving into water. And I think that's one of those things that's like, it's a science. And there's a lot of things that we need to think about uh, as leaders going into this. And again, that, that goes to beyond certification, right? There, there's so much more that we can learn about. I started out as a respiratory therapist um, in the healthcare field many years ago. And um, the difference between respiratory therapy and sterile processing, and they both are very technical in nature and life and death, in my opinion, are involved in both professions. One thing that developed in the respiratory therapy profession was associate degree programs, which turned into baccalaureate programs, which turned into master's programs in pulmonary uh, care. You don't see that in sterile processing. A few community college tries to get that going. And really, the respect, in unfortunately, from a lot of people in the healthcare field goes with education and the degree that's associated with it. We never, never really looked into developing an associate degree program in any of our two-year pro, uh, colleges. We tried, I know, down here in uh, Long Island, and that fell through. Nursing has gone that route. Respiratory therapy has, physical therapy. We should be also looking at that, but we failed to do that over the years. And we actually shot ourselves in the foot by not doing that. 
I tried a number of years ago as well. I, I, the New Jersey State Department of Education has some funding from the feds to develop health, health science professionals. And I went to a group of um, community colleges to see if we could work on, on, on this particular issue. And they didn't want to hear it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know there's some out there. There are some trade schools in that uh, that are trying to develop, and there are some there. And um, that's a, probably another topic. And I don't know how we're getting close on time, but I want to. I just want to mention one thing. Go ahead. A lot of these schools have nurses and surgical techs teaching them, mm-hmm. and they're not teaching them the right stuff. Yeah, yeah that's just, true. I, I tell you, we had, we had people come in from a school, these kids were paid. $19,000 to go to this course, and they didn't even know what a Bowie Dick test was. I kid you not. Well, so you know, that's not always the answer. You got to look at who's providing the education. That's true. Who is teaching? Well, I've heard some classes have people with less than one year experience teaching sterile processing class. And I'm not saying they, they're not good teachers, but I'm going. I learn everything every day. And Nancy, you know this. I email you. I don't, I'm stumped a lot. And I'm emailing people and asking, I need help, for God's sakes. That's a great point. I want to bring something up. And Tony, I hope you don't dig me too hard. And this is 2019. Tony, myself, and Richard Schul were sitting at a New Jersey meeting, sitting in an Irish pub. And we said, how can we make mandatory certification? And we said, maybe we need to go to CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and tell them that they need to put a line in their standards that anybody doing this type of job requires certification from however they, you know, either organization. And then the pandemic hit and Tony would email me, Steve, what you doing? What you doing? Do you think this might be the route? for our organizations to get together and say, heck with all this state stuff. There's a group that says, if you want to get paid, you need to have these people certified. So let's talk about that as we start to wrap it up. Do you think that's a viable route for us to go? And Tony, I'm going to have you start it off. It's it's possible. It's going to be a hard road to take. Uh, if you take a look at the CMS standards now, they're they're very broad-based. Uh, we call them catch-all statements, in which they have broad, broad st- uh, statements, and you can for- enforce anything you want on, on them. You know, um, they don't get into the nitty-gritty of, of sterilization uh, or infection control. They just have broad statements, and they have to go through the same regulatory rigmarole that I would have to go through. And they would have the same challenges that we have. And there's, there's politics does come on in the federal level. It comes obvious than it does on the state level. And do they have the authority, though, to, to require that? I, I don't think they do, to be honest. I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. Just like Amy. Amy isn't regulatory. They could recommend it. But they're not regulatory, and that's how a lot of these facilities get away with it. No, no, Nance, they are regulatory in that they give money to the states to um, do what they call federal cert inspections. And, and oh, you're talking about medical? I, 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 I've done many federal cert inspections, and they're like a day off for me, you know, because 
they're so broad based in their standards. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they're not like okay. st- state standards or national guidelines. Right, right. Okay. I was just wondering if, you know, we're trying to, we've talked a lot about certification, things we need to do from training and critical thinking. And I thought maybe going the CMS route might be the way to go. But right now, it, it doesn't sound like, and Tony, you have more experience being an inspector and having to follow some of those rules and in in guidelines, you know. Steve, I told I told you I would be more than willing to go to Washington with you. And, I know and do an attempt. Well, right. we we'll still might get that going now. Give it back to Kevin and um, Adam because Adam's watching the time. Where are we at uh, for any more questions, Adam, for the second part or Kevin? We need to start wrapping it up or what? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a natural transition, Adam, if you agree, just to get to the where do we go from here? You know, I mean, and you already kind of started that conversation, Steve, but, you know, by exploring whether or not CMS is, you know, a possible option. uh, I think that's where we're at, right? We're kind of brainstorming possible solutions as, you know, it's been 20 years now, right? Since the first state uh, required certification uh, and we can't wait another 20 years for another five states, right? Like that's how much is that really moving the needle? And that's assuming that five more are added. We don't even know if that's even plausible. One of the things that you've kind of already hinted at here uh, between uh, Don and Nancy and Tony, and and something that I've talked about before, uh, but I think it's worth just exploring as a potential possibility. And that's actually maybe taking it a level above in terms of education and preparation and and actually building an associate's degree program and making it an associate's degree occupation. I mean, this is something that has been done, as as Don mentioned. Nurses used to be diploma-prepared nurses, and then eventually it was associates, and now they're, they're really pushing for bachelors. And they're actually seeing you know, correlations between medical errors and whether or not a nurse's associates prepared or bachelor's prepared. There's a difference in the number of medical errors suggesting that a bachelor's degree is probably the better route and more efficacious route to go. So I'm thinking, you know, similarly to the nursing industry, sterile processing has evolved so much. And to Adam's point, in my opinion, it's become more of a science. Why isn't there a associate's degree of applied science in sterilization services or whatever we want to call it? Maybe that's really the route that we should be going. I don't know how nursing made the jump from diploma to associate's degree and so on. I'm not sure how that happens. Uh, Like, does everyone just one day I'll agree this is what we need. I don't know how that happens. And maybe, Nancy, you can speak to that. Yeah. Yeah. I was in the very first class. There we go. Perfect. Of the associate degree program in 1966. And um, our local community college, they just were so short of nurses and uh, wanted to uh, get more people into the profession in less time because your, your diploma schools were all three years. And so they wanted to have a program. And incidentally, that was competency-based. You didn't have all the experience of a diploma nurse, but you had all the concepts. Uh, I can tell you in the class I was in, we started with 65 people and we only graduated uh, 28 
There was that many that dropped out. It was very, very challenging. But those who hung through, uh, I passed my boards on the first time. And incidentally, the New York boards are some of the toughest, toughest in the country, which is why a New York license is recognized by reciprocity in almost every state. But that's how it got started. And it was extremely challenging. Uh, but that's how it got started. And it was a, a very good program. Nancy, you just put the big C word, competency. And we didn't even talk. We've talked around it, but we didn't really say much. But Kevin, that's um, that's an interesting concept. And I says, I think there are some schools out there, but it is. This is the science of reprocessing. That's what we're talking about, or the science of sterilization. I think it's about at that time, unless Tony or Don want to say anything real quick as we wrap this up and uh, let just one, one one last thing. Sure. Uh, I think Nancy, Adam, and Kevin all made good points about this being a science. Will we who are we dealing with? We're dealing with the OR, and we're dealing with APEC. Two important groups. How are they driven? They're driven by data. Yeah. Do we have the data to support what we're doing? And so what I'm recommending and suggesting is that we need to publish, publish, publish. Yeah. We need to sell certification to everybody because they don't know who we are or what we do. Yeah. Yeah. My final point. There was an article that was uh, someone just sent to me that was published in uh, one of the AORN journals on certification. I had nothing to do with it. Um, I don't know the people who wrote it. I haven't had a chance to go through it, but I did have someone, a colleague of mine from Amy, who said that he felt that there was some errors in the data. But that was the first one that I ever saw on sterile processing. So, uh, Steve, I'll send you a copy. Anybody else who wants a copy, yeah. I'll send it to you. I would like one. Okay. Yeah, I, there's something that was recently published. Corey Offset did something on training. And Kevin or Adam, how do you want to wind this up and um, go from there? Any suggestions what we might do to help people if they're thinking to get something going in their states? I think we should have an open forum and invite people uh, to a podcast on um, on certification. Um, about 10 years ago, Amy had a, a Getting to Zero national conference in, in Virginia. They had every organization in the country there, from the American Hospital Association, American Nurses, APIC, AORN, Joint Commission, you name it, they were all there. And we looked, they had facilitators, and we went through all of the issues that were preventing us from getting infections down to zero. And of course, we were in the sterile processing group. It was fascinating, uh, the, the information that came out of that. I agree with all of you on all the points that you made. Steve, remember I mentioned to you yesterday that we wrote an article 20 years ago together mm -hmm. about certification? It, it is 20 years. I'd <laughs> like to see that article again and look at the points. I sent it to you. Oh, I didn't get that yet. I got to look for it. Okay. But I think the, a lot of the points that we made then are going to be the same today. It hasn't changed that much. But the, talking about that and having a forum and discussing the importance of certification and the importance of our profession and le and developing leaders that really care is an important thing to do, Nancy. And I agree with you 100%. And Tony, too. I think there's seven states, no, but I got to recheck five. that. It is five? It's five. Yeah. It is five, five for sure. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. Kevin, 
And Adam, well, how do you want to wrap this up here? Uh, let's just go around and say any final thoughts. So, Tony, any final thoughts you want to leave listeners with? I think I'm going to pass right now. Go to the other uh, speakers. Fair enough. Mo- we'll move to Nancy. Nancy, any final thoughts you want to uh, give to listeners? I I just want to commend you guys for not only recognizing you know New Jersey with the certification, but opening this up because I think there's a lot of people out there that really do want to do it, but they just don't know how. They don't have the resources. They don't know where to start. They don't have the support. And maybe that's something we can mm. do. Absolutely, Don. Anything you want to add? I agree that we we need to push forward, and the people who uh, started this many years ago uh, hopefully can uh, help to get the new people on board with it. And uh, also, our uh, national association has to take a step forward. I'll just say I'll just say one closing comment. We need to get the young technicians and managers active again and participate in this because I know I don't have the energy anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I have to agree. We don't, we don't have to, we shouldn't worry about clicks and different things. Um, but I do want to say this. <clears throat> we, we've just got these three people and I know there've been so many other people active. There have been people who have worked for what they felt was in their state and they also should be commended in no way. Do I want people to feel uh, just because I think New Jersey mm-hmm. had a great blueprint. We've heard from Adam and Don mm-hmm. and Tony and Nancy, each state is different. You got to figure it out. And all the states that have certification must be commended because they figured a way to get it in, to get it working. And we need to figure out how do we help share what people have learned to do it in their state. So 20 years from now, every state has is requiring it. It would be really great. So that was my two cents. All right. Well, thank you, Tony. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Don, for being on the podcast. Thank you, Stephen, for facilitating. Thank you to our host, Kevin Anderson. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. There will be more follow-up. Hopefully, we'll have some kind of open discussion where people can ask questions of these guys and learn uh, how they were able to succeed where so many others have failed. So thank you all for being here and we'll see you on the next podcast. Thank Take you. care. Thank you. Take care. Bye everybody. All opinions expressed on this show are those of the presenters. Before using any medical device, it is important to review the device manufacturer's instructions for use.